Today, an update on an exciting research project to bring about quieter supersonic aircraft. From the National Business Aviation Association, this is Flight Plan. I'm Rob Finfrock with your trusted source for the very latest business aviation news and information. We recently passed an unfortunate aviation milestone of sorts, the 50th anniversary of the ban against commercial aircraft flying faster than the speed of sound over the continental United States. The FAA announced that ban on March 28th of 1973, and it went into effect a month after that. Now, keep in mind, this was near the height of public excitement and anticipation about supersonic air travel, with Concorde entering service just a few years later. But one could also argue the FAA acted with good reason, as sudden and extremely loud supersonic booms were not only unpleasant for those on the ground to hear, those booms often caused broken windows and other property damage as well. Now a half century later, NASA hopes to make that ban obsolete by shaping the design of supersonic aircraft to make those booms much, much quieter and less disruptive. It's called the Quest Mission, for Quiet SST, and in particular the Low Boom Flight Demonstrator Project, and the X-59, a piloted testbed for several innovative technologies aimed at reducing the perceived sound level from an aircraft flying faster than the speed of sound. For an update on these projects, I'm pleased now to welcome back to Flight Plan Kathy Baum, Deputy Project Manager on the Low Boom Flight Demonstrator Project, and Lori Ozorowski, Project Manager for NASA's Commercial Supersonic Technology Project that's part of Quest. We'll begin with Lori. The Quest mission has two goals. The first is to be able to demonstrate this new technology that we can shape and fly an aircraft that doesn't create this disruptive and you know startling sonic boom that's typically associated with, with supersonic flight. And then the second goal is to take this aircraft out and survey the public on their reaction to these lower noise levels that will be created with the X-59, and then ultimately provide that information to regulators like the FAA and the international regulatory committees so that rather having the this current 50-year ban on, on supersonic flight over land, instead we can actually establish a level to which future aircraft could certify and be allowed to fly supersonic on overland routes around the country and, and the world. That's why the community outreach part of this mission is so important. Just like studies that are done in communities around airports to understand the public response to um, operational noise of aircraft when they're taking off or landing from an airport, that's then in turn used to set local noise regulations. We need to survey the public in various communities to understand uh, their response to these new sounds um, in order to inform these future regulations. So NASA plans to do a number of tests in communities around the country and survey people as they go about their day um, and hear these new sounds. They're sounds that people aren't aren't typically used to hearing. And then the surveys will gauge their level of annoyance and and then combined with the recordings of these uh, sounds on the ground that NASA will be be taking, that combined data will then be provided to, to help these authorities establish this acceptable level. And it's all about, you know, determining this acceptable level. So once we prove this technology and uh, the regulators can establish a standard, 
it gives aircraft designers and manufacturers this information they can use to make decisions on whether they want to move forward on any potential future supersonic aircraft. So, you know, at supersonic air travel can be transformative to the industry. And in the future, if a company would could bring to market an affordable and a sustainable commercial aircraft that flies twice as fast as today's fastest subsonic jets, that's a pretty transformative thing for the U.S. and really the world aviation community. And that brings us to the X-59, the latest in a series of NASA X-planes to prove out advanced concepts like quieter supersonic flight. Kathy, I understand this isn't the first X-plane program you've been involved with. So my first X-plane was the X-33, which was a demonstrator for a single stage to orbit vehicle. I came out to NASA Armstrong Flight Research Center to work on airplanes, but my first X-plane was actually aerospace side of the house. And that was followed by the X-38 crew return vehicle demonstrator. And so this was a a vehicle we tested. Uh, It was autonomous landing under a parafoil uh, that would have returned crew from a space station if there had been a problem. And that transitioned me to the X-43 HyperX aircraft. Again, not a high-performance aircraft that I came to NASA to work on, but learned a lot. And this was one of our really exciting projects. It was the first ever aircraft integrated scramjet uh, that was flown at Mach 7 and Mach 10. And we actually hold a Guinness World Record for the fastest air-breathing aircraft. Uh, So that was really exciting. And then I initiated the X-48, which was a scaled version of the blended wing body concept. And X-59 is now my fifth X-plane, but it is my first piloted X-plane. And while it looks like a high-performance aircraft, it flies more like a commercial aircraft. And each of the X-planes really have their own specific goals that help advance the aerospace community. But there are a lot of similarities and a lot of things you can leverage from one X-plane to the next. There's integration, testing, a number of the systems, and just the fact that you work across these large integrated teams. And a lot of these projects you know, contribute even small things. Like one of my favorite examples is like from Apollo, you know, we use Velcro to solve a problem for Apollo, but you can see how far Velcro has contributed, not just to aerospace, but to the world in general. So each of these have their individual notable contributions, but all of them help you move towards the future. Coming up, we'll discuss when the X-59 will take to the skies and the possible role of supersonic transport in our industry's future. But first, a quick message from NBAA. NBAA Flight Plan listeners, are you getting recognized for your leadership? NBAA now offers certificates and other credentials in safety, sustainability, and more. Visit nbaa.org to apply today. We're back now with Lori Ozerowski and Kathy Baum and our conversation about NASA's Quest mission. Kathy, we last chatted about a year ago, and at that time, you were targeting first flight for the X-59 by the end of 2022. Now we're a bit past that now, but while we haven't seen the X-59 fly just yet, I understand the program has hit several key milestones recently. We've made a lot of progress over the last year. Uh, It hasn't gone as quickly as we expected it to, to go, but we've made tremendous progress. 
So we've installed the nose. The 38-foot long nose has been installed on the aircraft. We've installed the horizontal stabilators that are back in the lower empennage of the aircraft. We've actually installed the lower empennage following the installation of the engine. We've installed and tested the landing gear, and we've been able to complete all of our unpowered checkouts, and we've started our powered system checkouts. We've deployed and retracted the gear just recently, and we've moved the control surfaces using our hydraulic system. The rudder, the ailerons, the stabilators have all been moving in the aircraft. We've tested out some of our other systems like our external vision system and our instrumentation system has been tested across the aircraft. So we've made a lot of progress. Once we've completed these subsystem checkouts and have started the power testing, we will move to the flight line. That's our, kind of our next big milestone. And then we will do the ground vibration test and the structural coupling test. We'll kind of check our models to make sure that they are sound. And then we will do some additional integrated ground tests and then follow up with the taxi test and then first flight. And first flight is actually expected later this year. Great to hear. How will the test program proceed after that? There's really three phases of flight test. The first phase will start with the first flight. And that first phase is kind of our envelope expansion. And that is to test the vehicle performs as expected and is airworthy and safe to continue into the next phase. So you're just kind of testing the vehicle itself in that phase and the performance of the subsystems and control system. And that we will spend about nine months testing the aircraft. And then we will transition into phase two, which will combine both the LBFD project and Lori's project, the CST project. And then also another project will support the activities as well, the Flight Demonstration and Capabilities Project. The three projects together will perform the phase two activities, and that will be another nine months. And in that phase, we're doing a validation of the sound and the signatures. And that's where your team comes in, Lori. Once we prove the X-59 is is safe to fly during phase one, we will gather data in the Edwards Air Force Base area in California. And as Kathy mentioned, our project will be validating our computational tools. We use computational tools to both design a low-noise aircraft as well as predict the sound that ultimately hits the ground. So that's going to probably take us six to nine months to, to do all of our tool validation. And the reason we need to, to validate those tools is we need to know what sort of sound levels the X-59 will be exposing people to as we move into phase three. In phase three of the Quest mission is when we will take this aircraft out around the U.S. Um, We're looking at between four and six locations to do testing. Those tests will last about one month each. And then after each test in, in these communities, we'll take a look at the data and prepare for our next deployment. Currently, we're planning on pretty much one of these tests every six months. So four to six tests, that's going to take us two or three years to get through all of our community testing. And the plan is to ultimately provide this data to international regulators 
We're also in discussion with other countries to possibly take the aircraft abroad and do an international test if we can find someone who's interested in, in conducting a test in their country. It just makes for a more international agreement on the data being collected. It's still going to be a number of years before all this data is gathered and, and decision about future certification levels can be made. Let's talk about the kind of sound you hope the X-59 will demonstrate while flying supersonic. Not a loud boom, but more a sonic thump. That is what we like to call it. A typical sonic boom from supersonic aircraft, fighter jets, and they can be quite loud and they are very shocking and disturbing. You can compare it to when you're in a thunderstorm, you have lightning and thunder that's right overhead. You get that that startle, really loud sound. It's about 105 to 110 on a perceived loudness scale. The X-59 aircraft is designed to create a 75 PLDB, and that's what PLDB is a logarithmic scale. So it is incredibly quiet compared to a traditional sonic booms, which is why we call it a sonic thump. And it's really more akin to someone closing a car door 20 feet away from you or across the street from you. So it's it's significantly less disruptive and we think probably an acceptable loudness for future aircraft. Speaking of future aircraft, public interest in supersonic travel appears to remain high, but we have seen some private supersonic aircraft ventures falter of late. Has that had any impact on the Quest program, Lori? NASA's decision to pursue the Quest mission, really, um, it came from decades of research and development, and it was not really specifically driven by any particular company or private venture in commercial supersonics. I've been working commercial supersonics personally for 30 years. I've, I've been through the ups and downs and the increase and decrease in excitement. But our internal studies have, have long indicated that in order to take full advantage, there is a potential market out there. There's no question about it. But we feel, have always felt that in order to take full advantage of that, the overland routes are necessary. And so NASA research is always aimed at breaking down these technological barriers that would enable a company to fully open in the market. We look at our low-noise supersonic aircraft that we're, we're trying to demonstrate here as really potentially being the second generation of supersonic aircraft, where the first generation would open the market and the second one would expand the market to include these overland routes. So we we really aren't focused on, on the, the nearer market entrance with this uh, mission. Now, all that said, there's a lot of risk for an aircraft manufacturer to move forward with a product without having the appropriate regulatory levels, you know, the, the, the levels that they need to certify their aircraft to. They need to be well-defined, and, and we're working toward one of them for the en route noise to deal with this low sonic thump, but there's also certification levels for takeoff noise and emissions, and, and so until they have really a, a, a well-defined regulatory level, they, you know, something they've got to meet, there's a lot of risk involved there. And so that will influence companies, whether they're ready to move forward with a product or not. Your thoughts, Kathy? Well, I think it just shows how difficult developing a new aircraft can be. These future aircraft will not be available overnight once the regulation is changed for the sonic boom noise level. 
but they will be developed and they will leverage the work that we have done and the systems we have used and the tools and analysis that we have done to help them move forward. But there are a number of other areas, like Lori was saying, with respect to landing and takeoff noise and, and emissions that also need to be studied to be viable for future markets. There are definitely some struggles, but I think the interest, at least from the flying public, to get to places faster and further faster is really there and really necessary to, to try and help enable that. Understood. And as you've mentioned, the X-59 isn't intended to be a commercial production aircraft. It has a lot of features that would make that nearly impossible, like the 38-foot-long nose that precludes a conventional forward windscreen, so the pilot relies on a high-definition camera monitor to see what's in front of them. But if the X-59 does validate the low boom signature you're looking for, how might that influence future production aircraft? Like you mentioned, X-59 is clearly not going to be just grown into a bigger version uh, to be a supersonic commercial aircraft. But what we will see in the future, quiet supersonic aircraft will have X-59 in their DNA. It will have certain characteristics that when you look at it, you can say, oh, I can see how that relates to what we saw on X-59. The first step, again, will be to change this regulation that will encourage these businesses to take advantage of the noise level limit versus the, the speed limit that is currently in the regulations, and then work through the developing of those aircraft and the technology Lori, you mentioned earlier the mission of the Commercial Supersonic Technology Project to lay the groundwork for a manufacturer to ultimately bring a commercially viable and sustainable supersonic aircraft to market. Obviously, sustainability is a big topic for business aviation, but can the aims of supersonic flight and sustainable flight coexist? The project that I lead at NASA is not solely focused on the Quest mission. We are also working to make supersonic aircraft quieter around airports and more environmentally sustainable. Within our project, we're studying ways to reduce emissions that these supersonic commercial aircraft would put into the atmosphere at higher altitudes. And we are looking at sustainable fuels and cleaner combustors in our engines and, and more efficient fuel burning engines. We're also always researching and developing new and unique technologies and identifying those that could have the biggest impact on the overall aircraft efficiency to reduce the fuel burn of these, these types of aircraft. So we've been working at NASA in my project for a long time and focused on, on all of these different areas that do contribute to making these aircraft more sustainable. I mean, it's a challenge and supersonic aircraft do burn more fuel than subsonic aircraft per passenger mile. So it is a real challenge and um, it's something we continue to work on and, and try to find ways to solve those problems. Rob, if your listeners want to follow along with the Low Boom Flight Demonstrator Project or in some of the activities that Lori's project has coming up, they can follow us at nasa.gov quest. And that's with two S's for supersonic. So that's a great place to see some of our progress and photos and videos of, of where we're making some of our best progress. 
when this mission is successful and we change this ban on commercial aircraft flying supersonically over land, it will be transformative for the aviation community and it will change what it means for business travel that you can do a day meeting from one coast to the other and still have breakfast and dinner at home. So it can be very transformative when we change the band from a speed limit to a noise or sound level limit that the mission is really striving for. As Kathy mentioned, be sure to check out nasa.gov forward slash quest. That's Q-U-E-S-S-T. You can also learn more about the people working to make quieter supersonic flight a reality and about several new technologies developed for the X-59 and its flight test program. It's really interesting stuff. And for the latest news about NBAA's own Emerging Technologies Committee, which was established to help drive such near-future technologies like supersonic flight and address their potential in business aviation, visit nbaa.org forward slash emerging tech. And that's the latest from the National Business Aviation Association. Remember, you can subscribe to all Flight Plan episodes at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify, or wherever you find your favorite podcasts, including by asking your virtual assistant or connected device. Of course, you can also download Flight Plan directly from nbaa.org. I'm Rob Finfrock. Thanks for listening, and join us next time for a new episode of Flight Plan. Flight base, sending out 3500. Right, we got him inside. We're still in effect 170.